Turn to Romans 8 this morning as we talk about the spirit that we were just singing about. You know, <clears throat> we've been in Romans for the last few weeks. We'll be in Romans uh, through the first week of March. But th- this idea that, that we are righteous because of our faith in Jesus, because of the work of Christ, that what Christ has accomplished on the cross for us and our faith in him is what saves us, like... This, this is life-altering. This is powerful truth that changes how we act and react and just how we do life. And so here's what we have on tap today. Our theology is this. We have been given new life through the Spirit at work in us and new hope for eternity. Our application today is this. The Spirit lives in us and marks us as children of God. And by Him we cry out, Abba, Father. And our prayer today is, God, we praise you that nothing can separate us from your great love. Romans is a, it's an interesting book. It's a, a great book. There's so much information in it, but it's kind of thematic. It kind of has the same theme throughout, and that is that righteousness and salvation, forgiveness and life come through faith in Jesus. It is not because of our works that we are forgiven. It is not because of our works or our performance that we have righteousness. We are not called holy because of how we act. Uh, We are called holy and righteous and forgiven because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of his shed blood, and our righteousness is a matter of faith. The reason that Paul is writing this to the Roman churches is because in the first century, as in the 21st century, there were a lot of people who said, yes, but, sure, 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 salvation is a matter of faith, But really, you've got to work really hard to make sure you're righteous. You've got to work really hard to make sure you're holy. And what we're gonna what we've been finding is that that's not the case. That our righteousness, our holiness, is gifted to us by Christ. We have his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says, God made him who had never sinned to become a sin offering on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is not the, the aim of righteousness, the aim of holiness, the aim of forgiveness isn't to be better than somebody else or to improve a little bit or to do a little bit better than you used to do, but the aim of it is that we now have Christ's righteousness given to us by faith. Uh, I grew up in church, been in church my entire life, uh, and, and I, I will tell you that whether it was the impression the pastor gave or whether it was just my impression, the impression that I often took away from church was that the guy on the stage was somehow better than me, that, you know, like he was uh, maybe a little more holy, maybe a little more righteous, you know, like you, you always would aspire to be like that pastor. Or uh, don't we do that a little bit still, maybe in a different way? You have a favorite Christian author that you read, and you're like, man, I just wish I was like her, or I just wish I was like him. Or you listen to that podcast, and you're like, man, wouldn't it be great to just be like them? And I just want to remind you of something really quickly. I want to remind you that this is not a contest, that this isn't a competition to see who can do better or who can do more or who can serve God best. Because you and I, if we've put faith in Christ, you and I will stand one day before the living God, holy and forgiven and loved, not because of what we've accomplished on the earth, but because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. So the person on the stage is no different than the person in the seat because your righteousness and my righteousness are a matter of Jesus and not me. And not you. And I said this two weeks ago, and I will keep saying this. I will never tire as a pastor of giving more credit to Jesus and taking more credit away from myself. John the Baptist said it this way. I must decrease and he must increase. And we mean to do that here at the 456. Make more of Jesus and make less 
of self. Now, Romans 6, uh, we're in Romans 8, I promise, but Romans 6, two weeks ago, talked about what the cross has given us. The cross has given us freedom from sin, freedom from sin's power. We've been raised to walk in newness of life, according to verse 7. Uh, we have been, uh, according to verse 4, sorry, according to verse 6 and 7, we have been set free from sin's power. We are no longer slaves to sin. According to verses 15 through 18, we have been set free from slavery to sin, and now we belong to Christ. Our lives have been made new. In chapter 7, Paul talks about what it looks like to live according to the law. Paul says if you live according to the law, there's sin, there's death, and there's condemnation. And he continues to talk about that. More sin and more death and more condemnation. What Paul is contrasting for us is those who would seek to do righteousness on their own according to works of the law and those who would seek to have righteousness given to them by faith. And Paul has said, here's what the cross has earned for you. And then in chapter 7, here's what it looks like to be people who are trying to do it by yourself. Sin, death, condemnation. And then now we're in chapter 8. Here's what it looks like to be people of faith who do it by the Spirit. Now at the end of chapter 7... Paul, when he's looking at all of this and he's talking about how, uh, he's talking about how the, the, the law of sin brings death and the law of sin brings condemnation, he ends Romans 7 with saying, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in Romans 8, so chapter 7, condemnation, death, sin. Chapter 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Hear this, okay? You and I, who are in Christ, you and I who have put faith in Jesus, who have declared that Jesus is God, we've, 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 we trust in what happened on the cross, what we just did here with the Lord's Supper, remembering Christ's body on the cross, remembering the blood shed. What, what we're saying is we believe that righteousness is given to us now by faith. And the Bible says what the law couldn't accomplish because of the weakness of flesh. What that means is this. You and I were too weak and too frail and too helpless and in my case, too stupid to be able to do the works of the law and get righteousness. The law was, was made weak, not because the law was weak, but because the people trying to do all the rules were weak. If you've ever tried to live by the rules, you're going to find what? That you fail. How many of you, we talked about this before, how many of you last year or the year before, don't raise your hands, uh, last year or the year before, you're like, I'm going to read my Bible more this year, I'm going to pray more this year. My, my New Year's resolution every week is to pray more. And every week I fail at it. Like, I am just not a good prayer, you know? I don't even like praying in front of people. It embarrasses me. I don't know why. I always feel like I'm getting it wrong. I don't even like praying in front of my family. And they love me, you know? Uh, it just, it embarrasses me. It feels weird to pray. Like, I'm like, what if I'm using the wrong words? I think part of it was in my 20s, I went through a Father God phase. And so like every other word was Father God, you know? <laughs> Father God, we thank you, Father God, that you love us, Father God. And one day, my, my, my very dear friend in college, Scott Donahoe, said 53. And I said, what? He said, 53 Father Gods <laughs> in your prayer just then. And I just thought, man, I'm an idiot. And I, now I just don't pray in front of people, you know? So 
Our weakness, our frailty keeps us from being able to be righteous on our own. That's what it means when it says what the law couldn't do because of the weak flesh God did by sending Christ. So now Christ comes and he brings righteousness. And instead of it being about what you earn, he's like, righteousness, anybody? Here you go. And you're like, what do I need to do to get it? And again, John 6, when Jesus was asked, what good work must we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, believe in the one God sent. That is all. And you go, whoa, that seems a little bit simple. Yes, gloriously simple. That our faith is our righteousness because of who Christ is, because of what he's done. Because I'm not sitting here going, I have faith that I can be better. I'm sitting here saying, I have faith that Christ is best. And my faith is in Jesus, and now righteousness has been given to me. And we have his righteousness. Now listen to what it says. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. We are not... now. We are not people of the flesh. We are people of the Spirit because the Spirit of God lives in us. Listen to these next few verses, 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on flesh is death, chapter 7, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace, chapter 6 and 8. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to the God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I, I've been preaching for 27 years, and if I could go back and whoop my own butt, I would. Because I, I will tell you, I used to preach verses 5 through 8 and say this. Here's how I would say it, and I was wrong. So Pierce will not take this snippet out and post this part on Instagram later, because then we'd be like, wrong, right? But, but here's what I used to say. I used to say, Christian... Were you living by the flesh this week or were you living by the spirit this week? Did you have a day this week where you weren't living by the spirit, you were living by the flesh? And that's how I used to preach it, as though a Christian could live by the flesh one moment and live by the spirit the next moment. And I would use it to guess, guess what? Guess what I would use that to do? Condemn you. You should have been better this week. Why weren't you living by the spirit? You were living by the flesh. But what I need you to see, here's why I need you to see I was wrong. Paul doesn't use flesh and spirit here to say that these are two things happening in the Christian heart. Paul uses flesh to say these are the people who are not doing it by faith. These are the people who do not know Christ. And spirit are these are the people who know Christ. The difference between flesh and spirit in Romans is those who do not know Jesus and those who do. Okay? Here's how we know. Check this out because I'm stupid and apparently illiterate. Listen to this again in verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The righteous requirements of the law are met in those who live according to the spirit. And then jump down to verses 8 and 9 again. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit doesn't belong to Him. Check this out. Spirit means you belong to Christ. Flesh means you don't. In this text, that's what it means. Flesh means you do not belong to Jesus. Spirit means you do. And it says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who try to live according to Romans 7 cannot please God. But Paul says, thank goodness you're not in the flesh you're in the Spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit doesn't know God, right? So everyone who has the Spirit has the Spirit because of faith. We are now spiritual people. We are now different people. 
The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.13 that all who come to Christ have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in, in John chapter 13, Jesus tells us in John 13 and John 16, that the job of the Spirit is to guide us into all truth and to remind us of the things that Christ said. And the Bible tells us in Galatians 5.16 that if we live according to the Spirit, we'll never carry out the desires of the flesh. We won't act like people who don't know Jesus. Why? Because we have the Spirit of the living God alive inside of us. This is not a text encouraging a Christian to say, look, quit living by your flesh and live by the Spirit. This is saying those who live by the flesh can never please God. But you're not of the flesh, you're of the Spirit. Two contrasting people, which is what Paul's been doing since chapter 1. These are two contrasting people. We are people, we who have put faith in Jesus are people of the Spirit, not people of the flesh. Look at this again, verse 9. You, however, are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body might be dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit is life, I'm getting excited, because of righteousness. If the Spirit of God, I, it's a pronoun there, it says him, but it's talking about God, so I'm inserting that for our benefit. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, God who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Check this out. If the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, right? If the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, and who does the Spirit dwell in? Those who believe. Those who put faith in Jesus. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will give life to your mortal bodies. Now, I need you to catch this, okay? 20 years ago, not quite 20 years ago, in September, September 5th, it'll be 20 years. Uh, it doesn't matter. September 5th, 2002, I moved to San Angelo. I don't know why I remember that. Um, it's just how my brain works. I don't remember names. <laughs> For all I know, you're, you're Sam. You know, I don't know. But uh, like... Uh, but those things stick in my head. So September 5th, 2002, I moved here, met some people, got to know some people. One of the things that, that I had a sharp disagreement with these people about was this verse right here. Because I argued, and I still argue 20 years later, I'm more convinced of it now than ever. I argue here that when it says the Spirit will give life to your mortal bodies, that is what Galatians 5.16 is talking about, that if you live by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you'll do the things of God. This mortal body will be brought into the likeness of Jesus by the Spirit. That's life for this mortal body. They said, no, 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 life for the mortal body is eternal life. Here's the problem with that. This body doesn't inherit eternal life. The Bible says flesh and blood don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. We go to heaven as spirit. We get new bodies when Christ comes back, but even that body is a spiritual body. It's different than this, okay? And so when it says here that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies, that's what this is talking about, that the Holy Spirit alive inside you will change you and bring you into the likeness of Jesus, will be conforming you to his likeness. Here's what I need you to know. My salvation and my righteousness did not, did not start by my works. It started by faith. And my ability to look like Jesus is not based on my works, but is also by faith. It is the Holy Spirit at work in me looking more like Jesus, okay? Here's, here's what I need you to know. Ryan Dalglish on his own, not one time on his own power, by his own authority, not one time has Ryan Dalglish honored God by his own authority or by his own power. Here's what I also need you to know. The Holy Spirit, by his own volition and by own power, has never done anything but 
honor God. He has always honored God. And now the Holy Spirit of God lives inside me. And that's why the Bible says if you walk by the Spirit, you won't walk like the flesh. You'll be different. That the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. I want you to think about this. The Holy Spirit who is fully God, who hovered over the, the, the waters in Genesis 1-2, the Holy Spirit who shook mountains and, and the Holy Spirit who came like tongues of fire on the apostles in Acts and, and the Holy Spirit who did all these amazing things, the Holy Spirit by which Jesus did miracles in the, in the New Testament. This Holy Spirit shook heaven and earth and Christ erupted from the grave and that power now is alive inside of us. Okay? And here's what we do. Here's what Christian moralism or Christian self-help stuff does, it says, listen, hey, I need you to know something. Yes, put faith in Jesus so you won't go to hell, but here's the 876 things you need to be better at. Go be better. That's what Christian moralism teaches. Instead of, hey, you put faith in Jesus for salvation, continue to put faith in Jesus for your day-to-day walk, for your life, for your living. Here's how Paul says that exact sentiment in Galatians 3. Because the Galatian church said, we believe in Jesus for salvation, but we'll take it from here. And Paul says it this way in Galatians 3. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having started by the Spirit, are you now seeing, seeking to be perfected by the works of the law? Right? You foolish Galatians, who has tricked you? Who has bewitched you? Having started by the Spirit, are you now trying to take over the job and be perfect? That's what he's saying. He goes, if righteousness was through the Spirit... Why are you now acting like it's through the law? Here's the point, okay? Here's the point. Essentially, what Christian self-help stuff does, and I'm not saying it's all bad, but most of it. Here's what it does. It says this. It says, put faith in Jesus, and then you tap in. What the gospel says, what the Bible says is, put faith in Jesus, and then you stay out of it, and let the Holy Spirit live in you. Can you imagine a book? Now listen, can you imagine a Christian book that started with the premise of, have you put faith in Jesus? I want you to know Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Know Christ. And then ended with, and also keep knowing Jesus. Like that's, that was the, the book, right? Like knowing, like the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. The Holy Spirit, when I was teaching this, I don't know when Aladdin first came out, 20 years ago maybe, when I was teaching this in the era of Aladdin, right, and I was teaching a lot of youth events, what I would talk about, do you remember the scene at the very end where he's like, great, cosmic power, itty bitty living space, like that, do you remember that? The Holy Spirit has great cosmic power, itty bitty living space, right here. And I have the audacity to go, no, 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 I got this one. No, live by the Spirit, right? Trust that the Spirit of God. People go, Ryan, they go, I, I want to be better in my marriage. I want to be better at this. I want to do better. Great. Here's what you do. Trust the Spirit. Let him do his work. He has never failed at a task ever. Why do you think he would start failing with you? But when we say, no, 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 I got it. No, 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 I got it. 100% destined to fail. 100% of the time, okay? We, we put our faith in God to begin, and we put our faith in God to continue, and we put our faith in God to end. Now, listen to this. Check this out. Here's our application. 
The Spirit, so our theology, I don't think I reiterated it, was that we've been given new life through the Spirit, right? And so, like, the Spirit has given us new life because the Spirit has come in with His life. But our application is this. The Spirit lives in us and marks us as children of God, and by Him we cry out, Abba, Father. Listen to this. Pick up with me in verse 14. All who are led by the, uh, all who are led by the Spirit are, wow, you'd think that I could read this having just done it an hour ago. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit now tells our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, provided we also suffer with him, that we can also be glorified together with him. The Spirit of God comes to us and now allows us to say, Abba, Father. I want you to know something. Um, well, this part's not super relevant, but maybe. Uh, we, we, I, I think we approach God with, with, maybe, with maybe too much formality. The Holy Spirit has brought us to the place, the Bible tells us, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of Jesus. The Bible tells us that, that the way into the presence of God has now been opened. That's Hebrews uh, through the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. We just looked at that. But I think, I think we approach Christ with, or God with too much formality sometimes. Not that there isn't a place for formality, but here it says that the Spirit has enabled us to call him Abba, Father, this idea of daddy, this kind of personal, kind of intimate kind of thing. Like, I, I try to tell my boys at least once a week when they say, Dad, and they say, will you help me with this? My, I try to have my response be always, that's what dads are for. Like, let me help you. That's what I'm for. That's what I'm here for, right? I don't know how long they'll have me, um, but for as long as I'm here, that's what dads are for. Okay, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to help you. And we get to call dad, we get to call God Abba. We get to call him father. Like there, there is a joy and there is a familiarity in the presence of God that, that like brings us a little bit closer in. When Michelle and I got married in 2006, our wedding was a little bit different. Spider-Man made two appearances, fun stuff. But anyway, uh, and, and so, uh, so when we got married, uh, we had a, a worship band that was there that led us in worship for like four songs. And I got up and welcomed everybody to my wedding. Like, you know, it's just, that's a little bit different, right? But I said, hey, everybody, thanks so much for coming to our wedding today. Uh, I said, if you're looking for some like really super formal kind of staunchy affair, there's another church next door. Maybe the wedding's there, but we're going to have some fun today. And then I, I shared the gospel and then we sang songs and we worshiped. And there was a Spider-Man groom's cake, and Micah had rigged up a little spider, a 12-inch Spider-Man to come down on a zip line from the balcony with Michelle's ring. And, like, you know, like, we just, we just had fun. We just had fun, right? We just enjoyed it. And I think, I just want you to know that, that my feeling is that when you come in here on Sunday morning, we are going to enjoy God. We're going to enjoy him. We're coming boldly into his, into his presence with confidence. We're coming in to meet him with joy and supplication. We're able to come in before him and call him daddy. Now, I grew up, and I heard this all the time growing up, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me until I had some friends who explained it to me. But every now and then a preacher would say, well, maybe you had a bad dad, and so when you hear God described as dad, you think, oh, I don't want a father like that. I, 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 did, I never made that comparison. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. My dad... Um, 
my dad made fun of me a lot, uh, teased me a lot. Uh, every time I was a kid and I cried, he made fun of me for crying, called me crying Ryan. I still don't cry because of that. Like for years he made fun of me and I just, I just don't cry anymore. It's just broken somewhere in my head. Although I did learn this. You know how when you cry and your nose starts running sometimes? It's because some of the tears drain down into your nasal cavity, right? So some come out of your eyes and some. So I guess technically because I've had a runny nose, I've cried but only through my nose. Uh, so... Uh, anyway, now you know. Y'all are going to go look it up, and you're going to be like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, your tear ducts also drain into the sinus cavity, those that don't come out. And so, uh, but, but uh, my, dad, uh, my dad was not, was not my friend, and, and I was scared of him a lot, and I, um, I felt unsafe with him a lot, and I never made that comparison to God. And I, I just want to encourage you in something really quickly. If if you did not have a good earthly father, don't take the picture of your earthly father and fold that over on God and say, that must be what God looks like. And let me just say it this way. God is the standard for daddies, not the earthly fathers, okay? God is the standard. And, and we on our own power screw it up all the time. God is never wrong. And so like, let God be the, the model of that. So if you're like, man, I never had a good dad, you do now, Okay. You have one that through the blood of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you get to come to and go, Daddy. And you get to come to him boldly, and you get to come to him without shame, and you get to come to him without fear of reprisal, and you get to come to him without any kind of condemnation or judgment and just be loved. All right? Why? Not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done through Christ. All right? So check this out. This is super cool. I've got to find where I am. Give me just a second. All right. Check this out. Let's jump down to verse 26. I'm skipping a lot, uh, but we can talk in more detail. I hope we will on Wednesday night talk in more detail about this chapter, the parts that we're having to skip for time's sake today. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought to. For we do not know what to pray as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us, for us with groanings too deep for words. Let me just explain something to you here. I've heard this taught a lot that when you don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays for you. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. I don't think that's what this text is saying. This text says that the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought to. The immediate context right before this it's telling us that we should long for the return of Christ. That because we are children of God, co-heirs uh, with Christ, heirs of God, it says that we should long for a Christ coming. That creation is groaning for the return of Christ. That we also are groaning for the return of Christ. And then using that same word, it says, but in our weakness, when we don't know how to pray as we should, the Spirit groans for us. Let me put this in context. We should desire the return of Jesus. And when we don't desire the return of Jesus as we ought to, we got someone going to bat for us, the Holy Spirit, saying, I'm still groaning for the return of Christ. Let me put it to you this way. I didn't meet my wife until my 31st birthday. We were looking at rings a couple of weeks after that and married a few weeks after that. But prior to my 31st birthday and meeting her, I was like, Jesus, I really want you to come back, but could you wait until I'm married, right? And, and then you get married, and then you're like, man, just wait, wait until we have some kids, you know? And then now I love my kids, and I enjoy them, and I'm like, wouldn't it be great to watch them grow up? And, to, like, so God, you, and so here's, here's what I want you to know. There are times, if we're being brutally honest, there are times we enjoy our earthly life more than we do the return of Christ, right? That is because of our weak flesh. 
because we should enjoy Christ more. And what happens when our flesh is weak and we're not praying for and longing for the return of Christ like we should? What happens? The Spirit takes steps in. He's like, I got you. So check this out. My righteousness couldn't be accomplished on my own, so Christ stepped into my weakness. Remember back in verses 2 and 3? Okay? And now here in 26, I can't even long for the return of Christ like I'm supposed to because I'm too weak to do that. And so the Spirit intercedes in my weakness. What are we seeing here? We are seeing that we are too weak to accomplish righteousness. We are too weak to accomplish the desiring of Jesus. And so who does that on our behalf? Christ and the Spirit. This this Christian life isn't about try more, do more. This Christian life is about be a little more dead. Christians come to me all the time and they're like, man, I need to try harder. No, no, no. You need to die more. Because if we will sufficiently die, if we will sufficiently get out of the way, all that's left is the Spirit of God at work in us. If Ryan surrenders his will and his ambition and his goals and his dreams and his desires and says, God, my life belongs to you, all that's left to come out of me now is the Spirit. And guess what the Spirit will always do? Glorify God. Right? Check this out. Look at this. We're going to look at three questions And we're going to finish this up. Look at verse 31. What shall we say to all these things? What shall we say to all these things? That all these things is that we have been set free from sin's power, that we are no longer slaves to sin, that we've been raised to walk in newness of life, that we are now slaves to righteousness, slaves to God, that the sin of, or that the law of sin and death was produced in us when we tried to do it on our own, but now there is no condemnation because of Christ who shed his blood, that by faith I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is now at work in me, and the Holy Spirit is bringing me into fellowship with the Father so that I call him Daddy, and the Holy Spirit is causing me to be called and marked as a child of God, and now I'm an heir of God and co-heirs with Christ and the Spirit intercedes on my behalf and Christ intercedes on my behalf. What then shall we say for all the, to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What do we say to all of this? We say, if God's on my side, who could be against me? Now, from a practical standpoint, will you have enemies? Yes, but the point that Paul is making is, what do they matter? What in the world kind of weight do our enemies bring to the fight when God is the one who is on our side? When God is with us, who could be against us? If God is for us, how big of an army do you stack up to make it threatening? There's not a big enough army in the world, right? Because God is for us. Why is he for us? Because of these things. Man, not, not, because, not because he was like, man, oh, look at those little... You know, scams, you know, <laughs> man, I tell you what, like, I, I better do something about them, you know, or they're going to, uh, all right, you know, track mud, all, any, whatever. Like, it's not that kind of thing. Like, there's a song, I forget what the song is. I don't like it. We'll never sing it here. Uh, uh, not because I don't like it, but, but it, it, it starts off with something like, um, uh, you didn't want heaven without us, so God, you brought heaven down. Terrible theology. God was not lonely in heaven. He wasn't bored, okay? He wasn't sitting there going, oh, man, if only we had some people to hang out with, you know? Play Parcheesi or whatever, you know? I don't know what that game is. I just know it's a game. Um, My grandmother had it in her game closet when I was a kid growing up. Literally have never played it. So tiddlywinks, however, I have. So we'll go with that. (laughs) Man, if only we had people to play tiddlywinks with, you know? And you're like, that's not what God's doing. 
God and his great love for us that while we were yet sinners, sent Christ to die for us. And now, now he's for us. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Here's the second question. Who then, uh, well, it's two questions. Who then shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? So that's the question I want us to focus on here. Who can condemn us if God has justified us? Listen, you're going to have somebody come up to you at some point, and I'm not saying that you haven't burned a bridge. I'm not saying that you haven't hurt somebody's feelings, but here's what I need you to know. If you have put your faith in Jesus, your standing before God has never been altered. You are righteous. You are holy. You are loved. You are forgiven. And because God does not condemn you, neither then can I. And there are going to be people who try to condemn us, and what do we say? Look, I get it. I screwed up in our relationship. I get it. I wounded you. I get it. I burned the bridge. Thanks be to God, I'm not condemned. Thanks be to God, I'm not condemned. Who can condemn us when God's the one who's justified us? Who could be against us when God's the one who's for us? Listen to this. It gets better. All right, ready? Here we go. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, who can be against us? No one. Who can condemn us? No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Guess what the answer is going to be? No one. Look at you guys. I love it when there's group participation. I really do. Group participation is way more fun, you know? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine, no. Nakedness, no. Danger, no. Sword, no. As it is written, by the way, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be led to the slaughter. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am certain, I am positive, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things that are coming, no power, no height, no depth, not anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Check this out. Listen. Listen. You ready? There's a group of people that Paul's addressing going, no, 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 we'll take over. We got it. We'll earn his love. We'll earn his righteousness. We'll earn his holiness. And Paul goes, are you kidding me? That path is sin, death, and condemnation. And they're like, what other option is there? He goes, you're not going to believe this, but are you ready? <laughs> believe in Jesus. And they're like, okay, okay. I like it. I like what you're saying there. <laughs> then what? <laughs> and he's going to go, then you're forgiven. And then you're righteous. And then you're filled with the Spirit. And then you call God Daddy. And then no one can stand against you. And then you'll never be condemned. And then the love of God will never depart from you. Let me get this straight. Jesus, fully God, fully man, came and died for my sins. Yes? Good so far. Shed his blood on the cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, shook heaven and hell and earth, and came back from the grave three days later, ascended into heaven, and is coming back one day. Yes, 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 and yes. And if I believe that, I'm good. Yes. Then what? Isn't that the question we all want to ask? Ryan, great, I got it. Then what? 
believe. Let the Spirit of Christ reign in you. Let Him do His job. Let Him work. He's more skilled at it than you. He's eternally existing. He was part of creation. Like he's got this whole thing figured out. Maybe let the spirit be the spirit. And you go, yeah, but Ryan, then what? Believe. Listen to me. It, this, these three questions, who can be against us? I've been a Christian. February 1st was my Christian birthday. I've been a Christian for 43 years. Became a Christian right before my fourth birthday. Knew I wanted to preach it for. This has been something that has been brewing in me for a long time. But let me tell you what I got wrong for like three and a half decades. Ryan, that's me in case you didn't know, (laughs) would have these moments where I'd go, man, God's against me today. Maybe I'd get to the end of my money. Maybe I wouldn't be getting any speaking engagements. Maybe I just ticked off some church and they were never going to invite me back again. And I thought, God's mad at me. God's against me right now. Every now and then I felt condemned. And when I was thinking about who condemned me and who was mad at me, I always put God on that list because I always knew where I had failed. I always knew what I had screwed up. God must be a little bit mad at me today. Anybody? This resonate with anybody? Man, I feel like God's against me a little bit right now. Man, I feel like God right now has probably condemned me a little bit for all the things that I've done wrong. And then I, if, if you'd asked me the question, does God love you? I would have said, well, yeah, but like begrudgingly probably. You ever felt that? When asked these questions, who can be against you? Have you ever in your Christian life put God on that list? I think God might be against me. When asked the question, who could condemn you? Have you ever put God on that list and said, yeah, I kind of feel like God's condemning me right now. When asked the question, who can separate you from the love of God? Have you ever felt like maybe God has separated himself from you a little bit? You have that feeling you've gone to the past and you're like, where is God? I don't know where he went. I feel like I'm so far from him. You ever had any of those? Here's what I need you to know. Your theology and my theology was wrong. Because God is for us. And God has justified us. And God upholds his love. He is not on that list. You might condemn yourself. You might be against yourself. You might not love yourself. But God isn't on that list. He says, I am for you. Who could possibly be against you? I have justified you. Who could possibly condemn you? And he says, and nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from my love. Why aren't we preaching that more? I'm just curious. Why is it that so many of our sermons, so many of our Christian books say, believe in Jesus so you don't go to hell, and then here's all the things you should do. Why aren't we just telling people, just come to Jesus? Why do we believe that somehow we're better than the Holy Spirit? Why do we believe that we have, look, I just promise you right now, in case you're wondering, I did not raise Jesus from the dead. I just want you to know that. There have been rumors. No, (laughs) not at all. There haven't actually been rumors. Why in the world, why in the world would I say, okay, now it's on me? Christian, your righteousness is on Christ. Your holy living and your walk in this life is on Christ. Put your faith in him. Believe in him. Trust him. Rely upon him. 
He is for you. He has justified you, and he loves you. No one can stand against you. You are not condemned, and nothing can strip you from his presence or his arms. That brings us to our prayer. God, we praise you that nothing can separate us from your great love. God, we praise you that nothing can separate us from your great love. Would you take just a moment to pray that right there, to thank God that he is for you, to thank God that he justifies you, to thank God that he loves you? Lord God, what a blessing you are to us. We don't have, God, a good example in this world of somebody who is as gracious and forgiving and loving and kind and generous as you. You set the standard for all of it. We thank you that our righteousness is not a matter of our own works. We thank you that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. We thank you that you've given us your spirit and that by your spirit, we now have life. We thank you that having once put faith in you for righteousness, now we put faith in you for our day-to-day living, that our trust is in you, that we can rest in you, that we can depend upon you. We thank you that you are for us and therefore no one can be against us, that you have justified us and therefore no one can condemn us and that you have loved us and your love is so unbreakable so impossible to overcome that nothing could separate us from your love. You are good and gracious and high and holy and exalted. And when we were too weak for righteousness, God, you gave us Christ. And where we were too weak to long for you, you've given us the Spirit. And today, God, we are people who testify that we have started by the Spirit and we will continue by the Spirit not for our glory, not for our namesake, not for our accolade or praise, but for yours, oh God. For you alone are deserving of it all.